Hey, welcome everybody. Great to have you back tonight and your faith and your hunger to learn has so inspired me. We had a great time last night and a great time with our leaders this morning and your coming and your questions and your hunger to grow and your hunger to learn is really heartening and inspiring to me. I think my faith was too little. Um, I just so much appreciate each and every one of you and your being here and your desire and heart to grow. And I want to thank and reach out especially to those of you who are not normally members of our church or attend Linworth. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're so thrilled and pumped up to be a blessing to you. Thanks for coming out tonight to enjoy our evening. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors um, here at Linworth. Well, I'm really excited again. Just going to give a brief, again, introduction to Dr. Sam Storms. Uh, we met him first last night, and uh, we're so excited to have him here. We're really glad we could get him here, and he's traveled here from Oklahoma City. And Sam has been a voice, uh, particularly in this last 10, 15 years or so, and even longer, for this wonderful convergence of word and spirit. And we really need both. God wants us to have both both power in his word and also the power in the spirit. And he's been a tremendous voice for that. And uh, tonight, uh, last night, Sam had a chance to share his own story and his entrance into experiencing more of God and God um, uh, enlightening his heart and striking his heart with affection for him and his walking into a discovery of um, all of the spiritual gifts. And tonight, we're going to tackle one of the um, issues that's really talked about quite a bit today and of great interest, not just to our church, but to churches all across the world, and that is the gift of prophecy. So um, let's get ready to learn and ready to open our hearts. And how about another big Linworth welcome for Dr. Sam Storms. Well, thank you for that very warm welcome and introduction. It's good to be back with you all again tonight. I've been looking forward to this, especially when I was asked to speak on this particular topic. Um, it is um, quite controversial in many circles and uh, has stirred up the body of Christ, and yet it is a pervasive presence in the New Testament, and it's vital that we understand it and that um, we be faithful to pursue prophecy as God has commanded us to do so. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read a short passage from Acts chapter 2, and then we'll pray, and we will get started. Acts chapter 2, as you know, is the story of Pentecost, where the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh, not just on selected kings, prophets, military commanders, artisans, as was the case in the Old Testament. But all flesh receives the presence of the Spirit without regard to ethnicity, without regard to gender, without regard to age. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy." Father, we ask that you would bring 
light to your word, that you would open our hearts to hear it, understand it, to receive it. Energize us, I pray, Father, as we seek to honor your word and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It was a normal, standard, typical Sunday morning at Bridgeway Church a couple of years ago. And a lady in our fellowship uh, whom I have grown to trust in her capacity and gifting to hear the voice of the Spirit came to me after the service. She said, Sam, I uh, have an impression, an image in my heart and mind about someone here today. And I said, sure, I want you to share it. So she took the microphone. She said, I have a sense that here today there is a man, you're about six feet tall, you're wearing brand new sneakers, the key fob to your car is in your right pocket, and this last week you received a text message from a family member telling you what a lousy father you've been. If you'll come up after the service, I would love to pray for you. Well, I remember um, as I walked out of the service that day, I happened to turn around and I saw her at the front, and there he was. I didn't know his name, about six feet tall, brand new sneakers on. She was praying for him. As it turned out, that very, he had his key fob in his right pocket, as she had indicated. And that very week, he had received a text message from his son from a previous marriage that sadly had ended in divorce. And that son had told him he'd been a lousy dad he had failed him in so many ways. And this lady said, the Lord impressed this upon me this morning. He called you out, gave me that information because he wants you to know it isn't true. You haven't failed. You haven't been a bad father. And of course, tears were just streaming down his face as he heard this word of encouragement. Now, I would want to ask you all a simple question. Wouldn't you want that to exist in your local church? Isn't that the kind of the ministry of the power of the Holy Spirit that you would love to see on a regular basis? Well, I believe God intends for that to be characteristic of the people of God in, in this particular day. Now, so we're going to look this, mor this morning, I did it too, um, <laughs> this evening at what the New Testament says about this gift. And you're going to feel like you're drinking from a fire hydrant because I'm going to come fast and furious at you with a lot of information. So. Um, gird up your loins, as the New Testament would say, and be prepared for this. What I want to do is I want to lay before you a number of foundational principles regarding the gift of prophecy, and then if I have time at the end, a few practical uh, guidelines on how it is to be exercised in the body of Christ. Now the first thing I want to say is what we've just read in Acts chapter 2. We see from this passage that one of the characteristic works of the Spirit in the present day is the revelatory work of God in dreams and visions that results in prophetic utterances. Now, you'll notice in verse 17 it says that this will take place in the last days. Contrary to what many of you may have come to believe, that's not talking about the days just before the second coming of Christ. In the New Testament, everywhere that phrase appears, it refers to the entire church age in which we live. That age from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. So what we are being told here from Joel in the Old Testament and now Peter in the New is that characteristic of this age in which we live, a commonplace among the people of God is the exercise of the gift of prophecy. 
The second thing that I want to mention, we see it also here as well. The foundation, the basis for all prophetic ministry is the revelatory work of the Spirit. In other words, prophecy is always the communication of something the Holy Spirit has revealed to an individual. Now you'll notice here in Acts 2, it's specifically the revelatory work of the Spirit in dreams and visions, but it can come in a number of ways. You might get an image in your mind. You might have an impression in your heart. You might see a connection between something in the ordinary routines of life and something in an individual's experience. It can come in a variety of ways. We know that prophecy is the, the uh, product of the revelatory work of the Spirit because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 30, Paul's talking about the gathering of the assembly of God's people. He says, one of you is prophesying and something is revealed to another. Let the first person be silent so the other can speak and you can all prophesy one by one. Very clearly he's saying that to prophesy you must first have a revelatory word or disclosure from the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't prophesy at will. Prophecy is not a gift that you carry around in your back pocket and that you can pull it out and exercise it whenever you want. You can only exercise it when God wills and when He reveals something. So for example, in the aftermath of COVID, there were a great many cynics and skeptics and hardline individuals who were highly critical of the charismatic world because they said, why didn't any of the so-called prophets predict the onslaught of this pandemic? as if somehow their silence discredits the spiritual gift. And my response to that was simple, it's because God didn't reveal it to them. How could they prophesy something that God chose not to disclose? Why God chose not to disclose it is of course hidden from us. It's His own secret, His own purposes. But we can only prophesy when God discloses something to us. In the absence of a revelation, you can't prophesy. Third. Let's just define it. What, what is prophecy? What basically are we talking about? It is speaking forth in merely human words something the Holy Spirit has spontaneously and sovereignly brought to mind. Let me say it again. It is speaking forth in merely human words something the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and spontaneously revealed to us. Prophecy is not based on a hunch. It's not based on common sense. It's not an educated guess, it's not a supposition, it's not an inference. It's the speaking forth of what the Spirit of God has revealed to us. Maybe even a simpler definition. It is the human report of a divine revelation. And that's what distinguishes prophecy from teaching. So for example, tonight I'm teaching. I'm turning to verses throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, and trying to unpack and explain them to you. That's not prophecy. I'm not prophesying to you. I haven't uttered a prophetic word yet. I've been teaching. Now, there are those in the body of Christ, we call them cessationists because they believe that the gift of prophecy ceased at the close of the first century, who try to identify prophecy with teaching. They do that because they are very uncomfortable with the supernatural nature of prophecy and the revelatory work of the Spirit. So the way they dismiss this gift is they say, well, it's just the same as preaching. Preaching is prophesying, prophesying is preaching or teaching. Let me show to you why that is fundamentally false. 
In the first place, right here in Acts chapter 2, what does Peter tell us? He says that prophecy is the result of revelatory dreams and visions. Teaching is the exposition and the explanation of a biblical text. Prophecy is speaking forth a spontaneous revelation from the Spirit. Another reason why they are not the same. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, we are told what was going on in the church at Antioch. And we are told that there were prophets and teachers present. But if all teaching is prophecy and all prophecy is teaching, why would he differentiate the two? Clearly, they were distinct in his mind. Furthermore, in Acts 21, Luke describes the four daughters of Philip as being prophetesses. Are we then to believe that all his daughters regularly preached in the local churches of that day? Also, in 1 Corinthians 14, 6, Paul says, When I come to you, do I come with a revelation, with knowledge, with prophecy, or teaching? Once again, he differentiates between the two. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, When you gather together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. So again, he differentiates between teaching and the revelation that comes as the basis for prophecy. Um, Ephesians 4.11, uh, Paul says that the, that the Lord has granted to the church gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But if prophets and teachers are one and the same doing the identical spiritual gifting, why are they differentiated in that passage? So the point simply is this. Prophecy is the fruit or the product of a spontaneous revelation from the Spirit. Teaching is the exposition and application of a passage from God's Word. Now, some people think when they hear the word prophecy that we're talking about predicting the future. That is very rarely the way prophecy is exercised. On occasion, somebody will give a predictive prophecy about an event in the future. But most prophecy is not foretelling, it's forthtelling, speaking to the present experience of another believer. Now, another principle, and I'm going to drive this one home very, very forcefully, because I believe I have justification from the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1, Paul writes this, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Hear that again. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Folks, this is a commandment from the Apostle Paul, who obviously received it from the Spirit. It is an exhortation. It is an imperative. It is not advice. It's not counsel. It's a commandment. Now, I don't know how you all define the word sin. We could give a number of def definitions to it, but at basic, sin is disobeying a command of God. I think all of you would agree with that. Which means, if you are not earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, you are sinning. Don't get mad at me. I'm not being accusatory. I'm just being biblical. Just telling you what the Word of God says. So again, you cannot look at this passage and say, well, Lord, I appreciate the advice, but that's just really not my thing. I think God would respond and say, oh, I understand you're saying that your thing is to disobey what I tell you to do. 
make it your thing earnestly desire especially that you may prophesy that verb translated earnestly desire means have a strong affection for it be passionately committed to it ardently yearn zealously long for this folks this is not an option god has not given you and me a choice you can't respond to this by saying well you know uh, it's just not my personality it's for extroverts i'm an introvert let them pursue prophecy but that's just not how i'm wired well i don't see anywhere in scripture where he tells us let only extroverts earnestly desire that they would prophesy it's a universal command you can't say well you know um, that's just really not what our church is about we've already got our spiritual statement of faith we've got our mission we've got our vision maybe that church down the road they can obey this text no it's a commandment to every christian in every local church regardless of your denominational affiliation or the lack thereof you cannot say well i just think i'm exempt from this particular issue other people feel it as an obligation but um, i'm just i'm just not oriented in this way god's not given us a choice and the last thing in the world you want to do in response to this is to say well sam i appreciate that um i, I think we ought to hold a prayer meeting and let's pray about whether or not we're going to earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that we may prophesy folks you don't pray about whether or not you're going to obey god at least i hope you don't if I stood up before you and said um, that you should abstain from fornication because God's will is sanctification in your life, and you say, well, I'll pray about it. No, you don't pray about it. You abstain from fornication. When the Word of God says, let him who steals, steal no longer, you don't say, well, I'll, th I'll think about it, but I'm really just kind of driven toward theft. <laughs> God's not giving us options when he gives us commands so you cannot simply say well you know we'll we'll talk about it we'll counsel together we'll get advice from more wiser and more mature leaders and then we'll decide whether or not we're going to obey god's word no you you don't do that and furthermore it's very clear from this statement you're, it's not enough just to be open to spiritual gifts that's not what the text says he says pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy be zealous for them earnestly long after them pursue them so i hope you realize this is not something that you can walk out of this auditorium tonight and in the back of your mind you're saying well it's for those people but not for me it's for that individual but not for those individuals this is a universal commandment from the lord that is applicable to all god's people another principle the scriptures are very clear that both men and women can prophesy this is not a gender specific gift we saw it in acts chapter 2 young men women female servants male servants if you're male or female you are under the obligation to earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy in acts chapter 21 verse 9 if i ever felt sorry for anybody in the bible it's for philip because in acts 21 it says that philip had four daughters all of whom were prophetesses i wish i could have been a fly on the wall at those dinners in the home of philip as those four young girls 
began to prophesy during the course of an ordinary meal. What must life in Philip's home have been like? How in the world that man retained his sanity, I do not know. But all four of them were prophecies. 1 Corinthians 11, women pray and prophesy in the church. Now, in saying that both men and women can prophesy is not saying that necessarily all of them will. Paul evidently held out the possibility that everyone could at some time or other receive a revelation from the Spirit and prophesy. Some of you here tonight, maybe the majority of you, have never uttered a prophetic word because you've never experienced, or maybe you have and you just didn't share it with the person for whom it was intended. But the potential exists for all God's people, male and female alike, to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Paul says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Notice, I want you all to prophesy. He says it again down in, um, in verse 24. He said, if all prophesy and an unbeliever outside enters, he's convinced by all and called to account by all. Then later in 1 Corinthians 14, he says again in verse 31, he says, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Now, again, that doesn't mean that necessarily all of you will. I've been operating the gifts of the Spirit for about 35 years now, and I've prophesied maybe a dozen times. That doesn't make me a prophet. You know, prophesying once every three years or so uh, is obviously not an indication that I am possessing the gift and that I can prophesy at will. So again, prophecy is something that all of us are to earnestly desire to experience. The potential exists for anyone, male or female, young or old, to prophesy. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will. Now, some people are far more fluent and far more accurate in this ministry than others, and I have no problem calling them prophets, but just because I prophesied a few times in the course of my life doesn't mean I'm a prophet. Another foundational principle comes in the form of a question. What kind of things does, God, does the Spirit of God reveal that we are then to report and communicate? Well, I gave you one example of that lady who shared that story about the man, and it was an incredible blessing to him. We read right here in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25, that in your meeting, in your gathering, an unbeliever may come in, and you prophesy, and the secrets of his or her heart are revealed, and they suddenly fall on their face and say, God is surely among you. So it can be a disclosure of human sin in the hearts of unbelievers. It may be that it comes in the form of a warning. In Acts 21, the disciples in the city of Tyre spoke to Paul and warned him about what awaited him if he were to go to Jerusalem. And of course, it came to pass. Some, we read right here in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, that prophecy is designed to encourage, edify, and console others. So it just might be a word of encouragement. Um, it might be, uh, for example, Acts chapter 13. It says that prophets and teachers were there in Antioch, and in the midst of their worship, the Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. So a prophetic word came indicating a call on Paul and Barnabas's life to take the gospel beyond the regions where they had presently ministered. Do you realize prior to Acts chapter 13, Paul had not planted a single church nor written a single letter, and it was all as a result 
of that prophetic utterance in Acts chapter 13, that human history was changed forever. Paul went out on his missionary journeys, planted churches, wrote letters to them. Where would we be today if that prophetic word had not been embraced and they had not been open to receiving it? Let me give you a couple of other examples of the sorts of things that can be disclosed by the Spirit. Um, oftentimes, we have had it happen in our church where, where, some, where somebody receives a revelation about a particular physical affliction. They might suddenly, just out of the blue, feel a piercing pain in their right knee. And it has no bearing to anything that they have experienced. And what it is, it's the Spirit of God indicating to them that there's a person here, maybe several, who are suffering from maybe arthritis in their right knee or some other form of pain or a torn cartilage. And then they receive prayer and many times are healed. Let me share a very personal story. About two years ago, um, the young daughter of a family in our church, and she was at that time only about three or four years old, she turned to her mom in the middle of the service and she said, Mom, my tummy really, really hurts. And she was touching her abdomen lower than her stomach. She said, I don't know where this came from, but it's really, really hurting me right now. And her mother, who operates in the prophetic, said, well, honey, maybe God gave you that pain because there's somebody here this morning who's suffering from that, and maybe he wants us to pray for them and heal them. So she came up to the platform. She shared this with me. I had her share it with the congregation. And the person I think that the Spirit of God had in mind was me because I had been suffering for several years with diverticulitis. If you know anything about it, it is an incredibly painful condition. And since they prayed for me that two years ago, I've only had one minor, very minimal episode of it in the last two years. Thank God for the revelatory work of the Spirit and the faithfulness of a mother to listen to her young daughter and then to pray for me so that I might be healed. Let me give you another example. Um, I, I kind of gave fair warning last night and again this morning that some of the things I was going to share are going to sound really weird because they are. This, this lady who had the word about the man in the sneakers with the key fob in his pocket, she came up on another Sunday. She said, Sam, um, I've got a pretty strong image in my mind and I, I think I'm supposed to share it this morning. So I had, and I had confidence in her. I said, okay. So I gave her the microphone. <laughs> You're just going to have to bear with me, all right? Because this is really odd. She said, I had an image this morning of a lady standing at her kitchen sink with her favorite kitchen utensil in her right hand. It's blue. And then she paused. She said, no, it's not blue. It's teal. And you're deeply burdened for someone close to you. And the names Sarah, Jane, and Will are important. And they have three kids, two sons and a daughter. If you'll come up after the service, I'd love to pray for you. Well, no one responded. We later learned that this particular individual was watching the service on our live stream, standing at her kitchen sink, holding her teal spatula in her right hand, and her sister-in-law's name was uh, Sarah Jane. Her husband's name was Will. They had three children, and they were going through a really challenging time. And she received prayer for that, and it was massively encouraging. Now, isn't that weird? But there's a whole lot in the Bible that's weird. 
That's not a criterion for determining whether something is true or false. But that kind of revelatory disclosure of those little details that seem so strange to us was profoundly edifying and encouragement, encouraging to that particular lady. Now, another principle, very important to keep in mind about prophecy. In any prophetic utterance, there are three elements. There is the revelation, there's the interpretation, and there's the application. The revelation comes from God. He is responsible for that. And what he reveals to us is always accurate and infallible. God never speaks error. But our interpretation of the revelation can sometimes be misguided and mistaken. And even if we do interpret it correctly, we might apply it incorrectly to a person's life. Now, people push back at this time. They say, wait a minute, Sam. You're telling me that a spiritual gift that can be potentially fallible and have error in it can actually benefit the body of Christ? That doesn't seem right to me. And my response to that is, well, let's compare it with the gift of teaching. Think about it for just a moment. We have the revelation of God in black and white right in front of us. The inscripturated text of God's revealed will. Have teachers and preachers ever misinterpreted the text of Scripture? Yeah. In fact, I have many times and I've had to come back years later and repent for having misinterpreted and mistaught the Word of God. Do you realize that we could turn right now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul talks about the translation or rapture of God's people. And we could look at that text and pray for guidance and wisdom and come away with three or four different interpretations of what it means about when that event is going to happen. Does that mean that we ought to ban teaching from the church simply because pastors and leaders can misinterpret the revelation of God that is right before their eyes? Of course not. So why is it problematic to think that we might misinterpret a spontaneous subjective revelation that comes from the Spirit of God? And yet that gift can still be profoundly edifying and encouraging to the people of God. So the gift of prophecy sometimes will result in a fallible prophetic utterance, just like the gift of teaching can sometimes result in a fallible instruction from God's Word. Now. What is the purpose of prophecy? Well, look with me at 1 Corinthians 14, 3, where Paul makes it very clear. He says, on the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding or their edification, their encouragement, and their consolation. That's the fundamental purpose of prophetic ministry, is to build you up, to encourage you, and to console you. Sometimes uh, I talk to people who say, I asked them, do you know that God knows you? They said, well, of course he does. He's omniscient. But do you ever find yourself doubting whether or not he's kind of forgotten you? You slipped from his mind? They say, yeah. And then somebody delivers a prophetic word to them that is spot on accurate, and suddenly they come to the realization, God really does know me, and he cares for me, and he loves me, and he knows what I'm going through. I shared this story in my book, Practicing the Power, but... Probably most of you haven't read that, so this will be new to you. But we have a lady in our church. Her name's Krista. Krista's very short, young. She doesn't like me saying that she's 4'11". She says, no, I'm five feet tall. But, you know, 
I think I'm right. Chris has been very active on our staff for 14 years. And several years ago, she went on a mission trip with a group of people from our church to Kenya because we had gone over almost every year to minister to a particular orphanage and outreach ministry there. And on the first night of their being present, they're praying together, all the people of the ministry and those who had come from Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. And Krista's sitting there with her eyes closed. And she said, Sam, I don't know how to explain it, but I heard inside, internally, a voice said, Lydia Otieno. Now, she wasn't hearing a voice like you're hearing mine right now. You're hearing the audible voice of Sam Storms. I've never heard the audible voice of God. She didn't hear the audible voice of God. She heard the internal audible voice. It was audible in her mind, and it was as clear and pristine as it could possibly be. And it was shocking to her because she'd never experienced this before. She said, and quietly to herself, she prayed. She said, Lord, could you say that again? And she heard the voice, Lydia Otieno. And she said, oh, my. And she's talking to the Lord quiet, you know, quietly in her heart. She said, I don't know how to spell that last name, Lord. And she said, Sam, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I could see across the inside of my eyelids like it was being written on a chalkboard, O-T-I-E-N-O, O-T-N-O. So at the end of the time of prayer, she looked at everybody in the room. She said, I need to ask you all a question. Do you all know a, a person named Lydia Otieno? She said, no, we've never heard of anybody with that name. She said, would, would you look on your computer and look in your uh, database and see if there's anybody who's come through this ministry with that name? And they checked it, not a single soul. So Krista begins to second guess herself. Maybe I just spoke that to myself. Maybe I somehow wrote that by, by my own willpower on the inside of my eyelids. Maybe it was just me and not God. And she doubted herself until the final day of the mission trip. And it's the following Sunday morning. She walks into the meeting, and another lady from our church named Alicia was standing on one side of the, the room. And when she saw Krista walk in, she said, Krista, come here, come here. Krista walks over, standing next to Alicia, was about a six foot tall African young girl. And by the way, when Krista shared the story with our church, she had a photograph. Krista, about five feet, very white, Lydia, very black, about six feet tall. It's a beautiful picture. And Alicia said, Krista, I'd like you to meet Lydia Otieno. Well, you can imagine Krista's reaction, just tears of joy. She was just dancing with delight. She had actually heard God. And as they began to process this, she said, she began to wonder, God, why did you give me her name? So she asked Lydia some questions. You know, are there some specific things I could pray for you about? Are you in need in some way? And she said, no, I'm doing pretty, pretty well. I don't think so. And then finally it dawned on her. She said, Lydia, I think the Lord sent me, this short white lady from the other side of the earth, all the way around to Kenya, and gave me your name just so that you would know God knows your name. God knows who you are. And he cares about you. And of course, Lydia's reaction, as you can well imagine, was overwhelmingly emotional. Was she edified and encouraged and consoled? You bet she was. That's the way the prophetic ministry can function in the body of Christ. Let me move on quickly. 
Prophecy can also sometimes supply us with guidance in decisions. I've already mentioned Acts 13, where it was a prophetic word to the church at Antioch that launched Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. I'm going to tell you another really weird story. Uh, I have a good friend who uh, shared this with me on numerous occasions. They were living in Arkansas at the time, and he was a pastor, and he was uh, being courted, as it were, by a church in Detroit, Michigan. And he had no idea whether or not God was calling them there. They prayed about it. They didn't get any confirmation. They're really uh, with a lot of anxiety in their hearts about whether or not they were supposed to go to Detroit. And so they were getting in their car to drive to Detroit to spend the weekend preaching at the church and meeting with the people as they were processing this call on their lives. And he said, we pulled out onto the highway and almost instantly this massive 18-wheeler cut in front of us, almost causing an accident. And the back of the truck was just covered with dust and somebody had written in the dust, say yes to Detroit. Coincidence, chance, maybe, but could not God have in his providence orchestrated that precisely as a confirming word to that couple? And of course, they said yes to Detroit and spent several years there ministering. This same man, this one was really bizarre because it applied to me. Um, I shared the story last night about how I was called from Kansas City to go and teach at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. Before I had ever given any thought to it, Wheaton was the, wasn't even on my radar screen, had never even considered the possibility of, of moving to Wheaton and teaching there. I happened to be at another conference in Florida. We were hosting a conference in our own church in Kansas City, and this man that I've just described, mentioned to you. Um, was ministering that day, and he felt impressed to pray for all those who had come from the Chicago area. So he called them up front. There were about 15 or 20 of them, and he was praying over them. If you know where Wheaton is, it's a suburb of Chicago. And I heard about this, you know, when I got back. I wasn't there to hear it in person. And he's praying, and all of a sudden he just blurts out, Lord, send Sam Storms to Wheaton, Illinois. I got back and they said, Sam, are you moving to Wheaton? I said, no, have no plans to. He said, well, Michael prophesied or just yelled out in the midst of his prayer time, send Sam Storms to Wheaton, Illinois. I said, what? So I went to him and I said, Michael, where'd that come from? He said, I don't know. It just popped into my head and I just felt the urging to declare it. That was one of the confirmations we looked back on when in fact we did get an invitation and we did eventually go to Wheaton, Illinois to teach. Uh, let me quickly move on. Sometimes prophetic words are designed by God to empower you to live a godly life. Let me explain what I mean by that. Listen to what Paul wrote to his spiritual son Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them, that is by means of the prophecies, you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now listen to what Paul's saying. Timothy, his spiritual son, I, I implore you, I appeal to you, 
that you look back on the prophecies that were given to you, we're not told what they were, and draw strength and encouragement from them to wage the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to hold on to your faith and maintain a good conscience before God. How does that work? Well, last night I shared a story of when I received my first prophetic word in January of 1991. And folks, since that day, these many years later, I have looked back on that over and over and over again to reassure my heart that God really does exist and that God does care about me and that he does provide for my needs. And the energy and the courage to persevere in ministry and to hold fast, as Paul told Timothy to do so, was by means of my recollection of the prophetic word that was given to me so many years ago. Let me give you another example. You all know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph in, in Genesis chapter 37 has a dream in which he sees himself being exalted and his brothers bowing down before him. And then Joseph made a big mistake. He told them the dream. <laughs> Bad idea, Joseph. You know what happens? They eventually, out of resentment and hatred, sell him into slavery to Egypt. So Joseph is taken to Egypt. And as you remember the story how uh, the wife of the, of the leader of the country is drawn to Joseph, and she, she tries to seduce him into her bed. Joseph resists, so she concocts a story uh, that he was responsible for it all. He's thrown into prison. For two years, two years, he languishes in prison for something he didn't do. How did Joseph maintain strength? Where did he find the courage to persevere, the wherewithal to look beyond the the, the pain and the, all of the horror of being imprisoned for that, for that long of a period of time. I just can't help but believe that he kept going back to that revelatory dream that God had given him, that he would be exalted and his brothers would bow down and serve him. And of course, as you know, the story, he was released from prison, he was exalted in the nation of Egypt, he was given authority over all of its affairs, and when a famine struck in the Holy Land and his family came to Egypt, they bowed down before him and served him. Joseph drew strength while he was in prison on the basis of that prophetic revelation that was given to him several years earlier. Praise God for the way prophecy is utilized in the body of Christ. Now, very quickly, let me wrap this up. People often ask, is there such thing as an ecstatic experience when prophecy takes place? And my response to that is, well, it depends on what you mean by ecstatic. If you mean a highly emotional spiritual charge, then yes, oftentimes that happens. When you hear the voice of God, it can be utterly euphoric. It can really elevate your affections and your emotions. But if you mean by ecstatic that you lose consciousness of your surroundings and you somehow uh, have lost contact with what's going on around you, the answer is no, because we see very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14 that the person prophesying can speak and stop at will, and that they are aware of when God has revealed to somebody else a revelation, that person signals to them, they can see that, they can close their mouths and give that person the opportunity to speak. So it's very clear that there is no ecstatic experience if by that you mean falling down, losing consciousness, losing touch with your surroundings. In fact, Paul even says in verse 32, the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. 
So the Spirit of God will not so overwhelm you that you can't control it. I've had people say in meetings, well, you know, I just had to stand up and prophesy. I know I was a little bit out of order. We had other things to do, but I just couldn't resist the power of the Spirit to do so. My response to that is baloney. The Spirit of God does not overwhelm us. He submits himself to our decision as to the time and the place and the way in which we deliver the word. So no, there is not that kind of ecstatic experience where you lose consciousness or you lose control over your own will. Now, let me very quickly just give you a few practical guidelines, some do's and don'ts about prophetic ministry. And I'm going to go through these rather quickly. Number one, do not publicly criticize or prophesy the sins of church leadership by name. Paul gives very clear instruction on this. He says in 1 Timothy 5, 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You don't stand up in a meeting, point out one of the pastors or one of the elders of the church and call them out for what you think is the sin in their life. If you think God has revealed that to you, you go to them privately. And then you take somebody else who can testify and confirm that they too have seen this in the life of this particular, particular individual. Secondly, related to this, do not expose someone's sin or identify them in a public setting. Now there may be exceptions to this, but by and large, it is not God's design that people should be confronted with their sin in the presence of hundreds of other people. Go to them privately, take along a trusted friend, and don't be accusatory, but say, you know, the Lord just impressed on my heart that, you know, a lot of people struggle with this particular sin, and I'm just wondering, has this been an issue in your life? And give them the opportunity to respond to it uh, in a way that would lead to healing. Third, don't prophesy marriages, babies, moves, or job changes. I shared the story this morning, I'll share it again. We had a a young man in our church many years ago was handsome, gifted, um, just an incredible young man. And at least a dozen young men, women in the church were all convinced that God had told them they were going to marry him. <laughs> had dreams, had impressions, had strong desires. Not one of them ended up marrying him. He married somebody from outside the church. Um, but don't prophesy, don't say to somebody, hey, John, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to marry Susie over here. Susie, John's your guy. Listen, if God wants them to get married, he'll communicate that to them. He doesn't need you. Don't prophesy babies. By the way, God in his mercy, and I would be happy to pray for any of you afterwards with regard to this issue. For some reason, God has enabled and equipped me and my wife to pray for infertile couples. I think we've prayed for close to 20, and only one time has, that couple, has a couple not conceived. And that couple happens to be a missionary couple in Slovenia. And God may have his reasons for leaving them with just the one child. If, if, if any of you couples are struggling with infertility, if you'll come after the service, I would be happy to pray for you. I can't make any guarantees. I can't make any promises. I won't prophesy the name of your child. But I will trust that the Lord would be pleased to open the womb and to grant you the desire of your heart. Fourth. Sometimes God will re reveal a particular affliction or disease that a person's suffering from. Don't automatically assume that that means he wants to heal them right then and there. 
Oftentimes, the reason why God reveals that to you is because he wants you to pray for them over an extended period of time. Or it's simply a reminder to that individual that God has not lost sight of you. In the midst of your pain, you think that God has forgotten you. And the prophetic word is simply designed to remind them that he hasn't. Let me give you an example of this. This happened in our, our own living room in Kansas City in the 1990s. We had hosted a conference, and we invited about 25 people over to our house the night that the conference ended. We're all sitting in our living room. We're worshiping the Lord. It was a spiritually electric moment. It was just so evident that the Spirit of God was there. And there was a young couple who had come from Oklahoma City, believe it or not. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't know them from Adam's Orphan. The only thing I knew about them was their last name. Couldn't remember their first names. And during the midst of worship, all of a sudden, I hear the internal audible voice of the Lord. And I'm sorry to have to mention a kind of a delicate term. It's not that I sit around thinking about this. I heard the word endometriosis. Good grief, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? So at the end of worship, or what I did was, I, I pulled out one of my business cards and I wrote down that, that lady's last name and the word endometriosis. I put the card back in my pocket. At the end of our time of worship, um, I said, folks, I don't know if this applies to anybody, but I have a feeling that, that someone here tonight has been struggling to get pregnant and you haven't been able to, and I think it may be due to endometriosis. Does that apply to anybody? And I'm telling you, my peripheral vision was riveted on this lady to my left, and immediately her hand went up in the air. She said, that's me. And I said, I know it was you. And of course, people would say, yeah, after the fact, you're happy to tell. And I, and I pulled the card out of my pocket, and I said, I wrote your name down with the word, and I gave it to her. And, but then I said, I don't have any assurance from the Lord that this means he's going to heal you of it tonight. But I do think that you're supposed to go back, seek out your physician, and see if this may be the reason for your infertility. Ten months later, she sent me pictures of her twin boys. I, I run into them periodically in Oklahoma City. Uh, but again, God revealed something to me, which was accurate. But I didn't automatically assume that that meant he was going to heal her that night. Now, sometimes he does, but oftentimes there's another purpose for the revelatory word. Fifth, unless you have explicit biblical warrant, do not tell a person what God's will is for their life. You know, they're fully capable of figuring that out for themselves, and if God wants them to do something, He can reveal it to them. Sixth, be careful about prophesying public, political, or natural disasters. It doesn't take a prophetic gift to prophesy that California is going to have an earthquake. <laughs> it doesn't take a prophetic gift for me to stand up in our church and say, you know, this spring we're probably going to have a tornado here in Oklahoma. I mean, it's just commonplace. So be careful about that. Be very careful about prophesying who's going to be the next president or how the, you know, that happened in the 2020 election. So many said Trump is definitely going to be elected. And then when he wasn't, all sorts of theories came up, some of which you might believe. I don't know what I believe. Uh, and they had to backtrack and say, well, you know, I missed it. Don't prophesy public political issues. Seventh, avoid using prophecy to establish doctrines or practices that lack explicit biblical support. You know, for example, the Bible does not say don't attend R-rated movies, nor does it say do attend R-rated movies. Obviously, they didn't have movies back then. We don't have explicit biblical guidance. 
So don't prophesy to somebody, oh, the Lord told me it's against his will for you ever to go to an R-rated movie of any sort. That might be the wise thing for that person to do, given the nature of the film, but don't use an alleged prophetic gift as a way of establishing ethical guidelines when the Bible is silent. That is just very, very dangerous. Eight, be cautious about excessive dependence on prophetic words for making ordinary daily decisions. I had a student at Wheaton College, a very godly young man, and in the course of conversation one day, we were talking about this. He says, well, I asked God to reveal to me everything I'm supposed to do, even what I'm supposed to wear that day. I said, so you're wearing brown socks today. Did God tell you to do that this morning? He said, oh, yeah. God doesn't care what color socks you wear, folks. I'm sorry. Uh, don't, don't look for routine, ordinary decisions as if God is going to reveal something to you that would give you guidance in that regard. He expects us to live like adults, to make our decisions based on wisdom, common sense, and experience. If it's a massively important decision that you have to make, then the Lord may speak to you, but not for the routine daily ones. Number nine, don't let your identity be wrapped up and identified with your gifting. This is one of the biggest problems we find in prophetic ministry. People who are really gifted prophetically, it's almost as if that's their identity in Christ. And, and what happens is, if you ever were to question the accuracy of something that they prophesied, they get wounded, they are hurt, they get very defensive. Because it's almost as if you're questioning their integrity, you're questioning their identity as a Christian man or woman. Never let your identity be wrapped up in your gifting, regardless of whether it's prophecy or any other gift. Number 10, don't despise prophetic utterances. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, as clearly as he possibly can, he says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. Now, why would anybody despise prophecy? And especially in the church in Thessalonica in the first century, which was probably the most mature church that Paul ministered in. You can read that in chapter 1 of his letter. What had happened that the Thessalonians were despising prophecies? Probably for the same reason that some of you do. They saw somebody use the prophetic gift to manipulate others. They saw somebody use it to promote their own agenda in the church. They saw somebody prophesy something and it didn't come to pass. And they just grew bitter and, and angry and uh, unsettled about prophecy and they despised it and they said, we need to suppress it. We need to write it into our bylaws. We'll never allow it to happen in our church. Paul says, don't despise prophecies. Well, what's the alternative? Just to believe everything that's said in the name of prophecy? No, he goes on. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Evaluate what purports to be a prophetic word. Test it by scripture. Test it by experience. Don't suppress it. Don't despise it. If you find yourself really, really offended by prophetic ministry, you need to take that to the Lord. Because if you're despising prophecies, you're in sin. Because this, again, is a commandment from the Lord through Paul. I think that's enough. My, my time is up. There's so many more things that I would want to share with you about how to facilitate prophecy in the local church. I just hope and pray 
that you can recognize in this particular spiritual gift an incredible blessing from the Lord. If prophecy is primarily designed to build up and encourage and to console, why would you not want that to flourish in your own local assembly? So I encourage you, regardless of what your past experience may have been with this gift, regardless of what you have seen done that was done poorly, don't neglect what God has designed for his people. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Earnestly desire all the gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's pray. Father, all gifts that come from you are good. All of them are designed to build up your people, to bless them. And Lord, we want to be open and, and, and hungry for um, the revelatory work of the Spirit. We want to be discerning. We don't want to conclude that every random thought that enters our head is from you. But Lord, we don't want to dismiss the revelatory work of the Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom. Pray that you would give us discernment. That you would enable us to be wise that we would test everything by the authority of Scripture, that we would hold fast to that which is good, that we would reject that which is contrary to your word. So, Father, I pray for Linworth Road Church and whatever other local churches are represented here tonight. And I ask that you would light a fire in the hearts of leaders and of members of these churches to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And may you use that gifting to encourage and build up and to console and to strengthen men and women who are so desperately in need of hearing that you know them, that you care for them, that you love them, that you're guiding them and providing for them. We thank you, Father, for this gift. And we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.